Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 12th of June 2016, entitled, How Can a Man Be Just Before God? And the Bible reading is taken from Job chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Book of Job chapter 9, we're going to read the first, uh, first 10 verses. I invite you to stand on the reading of God's holy and precious word, beginning in Job chapter 9, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth. If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Who rem- which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun and it riseth not and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Father, I thank you this evening that we have this time, this privilege, this opportunity, this freedom, Lord, to be able to look once again into your preserved word this evening. Thank you, Lord, that we have your word before us. Thank you that we have your spirit within us. Lord, now we pray that in these next moments that you would take and speak to our hearts as only you can. You know the hearts of each one here this evening. You know the need of the hour. We entrust it to you, Lord, and pray that you would do that, which bring glory and honor to you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Of course, Job here is answering one of his friends, and he's asking some pretty serious questions. You know, how can a man be just before God? We know that within ourselves that is a total, complete impossibility. And of course, he goes on to, you know, how in the world can you ever contend or argue or carry on with God? He, God, is wise in heart and mighty in strength. We looked this morning at the very first point of our message was that God is able. God is able. God is totally able. There is absolutely nothing that is beyond our God. And, of course, we look secondly at the availability of His grace for you and I. It's not our ability. It's simply our availability to His ability that's going to get anything accomplished. And Job is looking around here, if you would, and he's saying, how can anybody be just before God? But how can anybody contend or have answers to God. I mean, God's wise and hard and mighty and strength. And then he goes on and he asks this question, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Who has ever hardened himself, hardened his heart against God and prospered? And he goes on and he gives this description of all the things that the power that God holds in his hands. How can we possibly hope to prosper? Well, When we first begin thinking about that, we try to think, well, who in their right mind would ever harden their heart against God? Now, keep in mind, of course, we know when we're speaking of the heart that we're not speaking of that organ that pumps blood through our bodies. We need that. God gave it to us to pump that blood through our bodies. But that's not what we're talking about here. 
We're talking about that innermost man. When a person gets to the point, have you ever seen somebody do something? Have you ever seen somebody do something and maybe you've made a statement like, how can they even have a heart? Do that or say that. What are we saying? There's, there's, there's no feeling there. There's no caring there. That, that, that emotional center of what they are and who they are, we can even wonder if it even exists or not. Well, we recognize that the devil likes hardened hearts. He likes to get people past feeling the conviction of God and the Holy Spirit in their lives because without that, no man has a hope. No man has a prayer. We find that it is with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Most of the religions of this world, they work from the outside in. The work, just like we sing about there a while ago, they work to try to accomplish something that will make them a better person, that will make God feel better about them, to, to please them in some way. They're doing on the outside to try to feel better on the inside and with those around them. But Christianity is totally the opposite from everything. God works from the inside out. It's got to come from the heart. We cannot know God. We find that unless it begins in the heart and works its way out, it's just superficial. So the devil loves to get people to where they would, if their hearts are hardened. Now, Job's saying, you know, has anybody ever had a hard heart towards God and, and, and prospered? And he's saying, no, absolutely not. It's completely impossibility. And we could look at that many things, and of course, Sometimes there are things in our lives that cause us to become hardened towards certain things. People do things to us that can cause our hearts to be hardened towards them. We just don't really care for them like we one time did. They maybe do something to offend us or to hurt us, and our hearts get hardened towards them. We don't have that same love and compassion and, and feeling that is there. We find that... You look into the New Testament, into the Gospel of John, chapter 10, we find that the Scriptures say here, beginning in verse, verse 25. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 25. Jesus answered them, saying, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And what does he say? I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? You know, Jesus is saying to them, even to us here this evening, Man, woman, boy, girl, there's only two sides of this battle. 
You're either on Satan's side or you're on my side. <laughs> what have I done, Jesus says, that provokes you to harden your heart against me? I'm the one that has been the best friend you've ever had. I'm the one that was willing to go to the cross and give my life for you and shed it all for you. I'm the one that has shown you more mercy and more grace than anyone in all this world. Why would you harden your heart against me? Jesus said, you can see who I am. Why do you not believe me? May I say to you that it's very interesting here that we don't have time to, to look into it, but he says, you believe me not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. The Bible says that it's impossible for the natural man to understand the spiritual things. Many try to. Many try to get all of the theological education, and there are many out there in all kinds of places that can read all these verses, could even quote many of these verses that can tell you all of these theological words and theological ideas, but folks, it's all on the outside. It's not in the heart. There's nothing in the heart. God works on the heart. God convicts. That's why he's left the Holy Spirit here from the heart. And unless a man, unless a man is drawn by God through his heart, he'll never come. A natural man is not even able to understand the things of God. But God draws him, but he says, my sheep hear my voice, they know them, and they follow me. I want us just, just to think a couple of things this evening that I want to give to you as I was thinking this. And, I, and, and Job is almost asking in a way, you know, how could anybody, how could anybody be so silly or maybe even so stupid as to harden their heart against God? Well, may I say to you that most people don't harden their hearts intentionally, I don't know if you've ever been to a position where that maybe when God was trying to speak to you, you just didn't want to hear it. You did not want to hear what God had to say to you. We find that I was thinking when I was reading this passage, I said, well, you know, one of my weaknesses in life is I love fresh bread. I mean, I love it. And especially if it's just been freshly baked and it's warm, I love it. And it loves me. <laughs> but I've really been trying to cut back on my bed. But you know one thing that I really cannot stomach is stale bread. You know, you take that fresh piece of bread, fresh baked. It's the best quality that it can be. But you simply leave it laying out on the table in the air. And guess what? Gradually, by the moment, it gets, and it doesn't take long. It gets harder and harder. I've even made myself a, a nice sandwich and stacked it up on that nice fresh bread, and then the phone would ring. I go off, and I have this conversation. I come back, and, oh, man, that bread is going hard. You know, the bread didn't plan to go hard. <laughs> bread didn't plan to do anything. It's the environment around it that causes it to do so. In Christian lives, people don't set out usually planning to harden their hearts against God, and that's that's. That's kind of what Job is asking here. Well, you know, how can anybody harden the heart against the God that, that created it all, that put it all there, that controls it all? Why would anybody in their right mind harden themselves against him? And yet it happens. We find that Christians and lost people alike 
can have hardened hearts against God. <laughs> there are Christians that because of things that come in, their hearts begin to harden to where they, they just don't hear. They may hear with their ears, but they're not hearing with their hearts anymore. And, of course, for lost people, it's only in that heart that man must hear and believe. What would cause a person's hard heart to harden? I want to give you a few things this evening just because, number one, if you're in a position to where you're not really hearing God with your heart as you ought to, maybe there's some of these things that you can say, yes, I know, I recognize that in my life. And I recognize that I need to get rid of that because I do. I do want to hear God's voice. I do want to be one of his sheep that's following him and hearing his voice. You know, one of the greatest things that hardens a heart the power of sin, the power of sin itself. You see, the longer that sin is indulged, the stronger it becomes. We allow something in our lives that we know. Many times you get asked, what is sin? Well, it's not an easy thing to define, but the simplest way that I know to define it is this, anything less than God's righteousness when we do anything that is contrary to God, that falls from that mark. So we, we recognize that we all sin all the time in our thoughts, in our actions, because we, we fall short of what God's standard is. But the longer you allow sin in, I, I remember, I remember and, I've, and I've read it in different ways, but I remember, I guess, the first time that I, I heard the term used was way, way back, 20-odd years ago, when Brother Dave Kistler was preaching a message right here in one of our conferences, and he preached a message on Christians becoming desensitized. Well, that's what Job is talking about, not sensitive to the sin that's all around them. You see, it's the environment around us. When we put ourselves into that environment, it will cause us, just like that piece of bread, to begin to harden. Sin causes our hearts to harden. I've got news for you. Life is never stationary. We're moving forward or we're moving backwards. We're ascending or we're descending. We don't stay in one place forever and forever, not for very long at all. The longer that sin is indulged, the stronger that it becomes, the greater control it has over us. Now, I could go into an awful lot of things here. We hear a lot of times things about substance abuse. Well, do you know what leads to substance abuse? Substance use. Substance use leads to substance abuse. I don't care if you're talking about alcohol or if you're talking about drugs or you talk about these things that we put into our bodies that take control. We find that you know, so many times we allow things into our homes. We allow things to come in through that evil eye sitting in the corner, things that are ungodly, things that are totally contrary to God's Word. We allow things to come into our ears, our heads, through the, the music that we listen to. I'm just saying, folks, the environment around us, for the most part, is ungodly. The more that we allow it to have an effect on our lives, the greater hold that it will get on you. I got involved in a conversation earlier today, and it was just two different Two different people that were talking about uh, specifically one felt that, you know, that as a Christian he should totally abstain from any alcohol, and the other one thought, well, he could have a, a social drink and be okay and all these things. And it was interesting listening to this conversation. 
And then I finally had to butt in. I had to say something to put my two cents worth in. Because one was saying, well, I drink it because I like it, not because of the effect that it has on me. But then I asked him a question. I said, have you ever, ever taken a drink and it had zero effect on you? If you say you have, then you're not being honest. It does have an effect. I said, you know the verse that God used to me, because I used to be, I was, I was raised in total absence, and I'm not saying, you know, the one thing, and I made it very clear to them, it's not whether you drink or whether you not drink that makes you a Christian. And Christians have differed on some of these things, and I'm not going to get on some of those hobby horses tonight, but I want you to grasp and understand it. In Romans chapter 14, verse 21, I think it is, the Bible says, for it is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. I can try to convince myself all that I want to that I'm okay to allow this into my life. The thing that God used to, to speak, because I said, you know, well, I didn't, I didn't not have another drink again because I didn't like the taste of it. That's because God showed me the evil that I've seen. I've seen people's lives. I've seen people when it gets the best of them. I've seen homes destroyed by it and all of this. And even if I could rationalize and convince myself that I could control it, which I'd be a fool to do so, because you never know. Maybe you're controlling it today, but maybe tomorrow, your wife, your girlfriend, your husband, your best friend, you know, you hit the bottom because everybody turns against you. And then that one drink turns to two drinks, turns to three drinks, turns to four. You're playing with fire. You're playing with dynamite that's going to blow up. It's destroyed more lives, and the devil loves that. He wants you to be able to, to, be able to get a hold of you and to, and to do something with it. But I got news for you. Even if you try to convince yourself very unwisely that you would never, ever succumb to it, because just when you think that you will not fall, the Bible says you're getting ready to fall flat of your face. But how can you look around this world? <laughs> How can you see what it's done to others? If it will cause somebody else to stumble, to be offended, then the Bible says you shouldn't have it as part of your life. It's not what makes you a Christian. You know what? I can still remember the day that I decided to never take another drink. But you know what? I didn't become a better Christian that day. I didn't get any more saved that day than I was the day before. I didn't somehow mark up a few more brownie points with God because I was holier than that other person that didn't. None of those things. The fact was, it wasn't a crutch. It wasn't something that I had to, oh, no, how am I ever going to? I, in my heart, I wanted that to be gone because it wasn't a chore not to do it anymore. I didn't want it there anymore because I saw, well, you know, if there's one person one person, and I could give you a whole list of people right now and some of them that you know, that if they had that one drink, it wouldn't stop with one drink because some of them even know that they have a weakness and it would lead to another and another and another. And we get our hearts hardened because we allow this sin and the list of sins could go on. I'm just saying there's one. <laughs> you could put in there whatever it is with you, but our hearts get hardened. We don't hear God. We don't feel God anymore because of the environment that's around us. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm a better Christian because I don't do something that another Christian does or vice versa. God help me, it is solely by grace. I mean, he's asking the question, who, and there, who, who can be just before God? None of us can in ourselves. It's only in Jesus Christ. But I'm saying Jesus is kind of asking a question there in John, you know, <laughs> whose side are you on? 
I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm showing you. But you don't believe me. You don't believe me. You're not listening to me. You're especially not listening to me with your heart. I'm saying to you this evening, there's a danger. There's a danger of your heart, my heart, of anybody's heart being hardened and not feeling and not hearing what God wants to say to us anymore when we allow sin to begin to creep into our lives and rationalize it and allow it to be all right, we're asking for trouble. Not only the power of sin, i got to hurry, the power of influence. The power of public opinion is absolutely awesome. What other people say about us, what other people think, what other people, you know, we're so afraid that they're going to think that we're not cool, we're not part of the crowd, we're not this, we're not that. Proverbs chapter 29 Verse 25 says this, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You see, the power of public opinion, what others are going to say, what others are going to think, sometimes it causes us, we are so influenced George Whitfield prayed, and then when he was saved, he said, oh, oh, God, forgive me for my misused influence over other people. Have you ever thought back of the things that, the kind of influence that you've had on someone else? I read this statement, and it, <laughs> it made me think pretty hard. He said, if you're facing death at this moment, would you want your influence on others, would you want it to be saved here? Or would you want it to be buried with you? <laughs> if you were being put in the grave right now, the influence that your life has had on other people, would you want it to go out of here with you or be left behind? What influence is your life having on those around you? And what influence are others around you having on you? I won't ponder here, but I'll say this, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm talking from experience. All of us are. If we're sinners, we've been there. I know how the power of sin, I know how it hardened my heart as a Christian against God, that I went farther and farther and farther away from God. I never planned on backsliding. I mean, who in their right mind would plan on hardening their hearts against the God of the universe? I didn't plan on it. But the power of sin... And the power of the influence of the world around me. It wasn't like one day I decided, <laughs> I just, I'm just not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to be involved with these Christian friends anymore. I'm not going to do those things anymore. Matter of fact, I couldn't even put, point back to a day when it happened. But I could point back to a process where that the influence of sin and the influence of the world around me, as it had more and more influence on me, I had less and less feelings towards God to the point that when, uh, when I would see those Christians coming, and I knew, oh, man, they're going to be trying to get me to go to church again. They're going to be talking to me about all this stuff. And I'd quickly cross over to the other side of the street. I was a Christian, a very backslidden Christian, but I was a Christian. But I was ashamed. They were living what they should be living. I wasn't. And I didn't want to have to be confronted with it. I didn't want to hear or feel what God had for me, the power of that influence. You know what? 
to this day, there are things that I can never change. Boy, <laughs> I thank God that he's such a God of grace. I mean, <laughs> you know, he said, how can anybody be just before God? I mean, folks, there's not a chance for me. <laughs> there's not a prayer. There's not any bit in me that could ever be just before God. Man, if I messed up. I don't know why God even wanted me in the first place. He knew what he was getting, but he knew what he was getting in all of us, even when he went to the cross and died for us. The thing is, is this. I can remember, and that bothered me so much, just what we're talking about here. I can remember, after even I'd been preaching for several years, I can remember having to get on the phone and make some phone calls because I remembered some young men that I served with in the forces, and I remember some of those young men that even when they were trying to live for God, I was trying to drag them into the world with me. I was trying to get them just to, just to go along and for this, for this one night and just come along, sometimes so innocent. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, so, some of those young men ended up out of, out of church themselves and away from God, and I don't know to this day if it would have made a difference if my influence had been a positive influence instead of a negative influence. But it's a horrible thing to have to look back and think, did my life and the influence of the life that I was living, did that help harden their hearts towards God? We've got to realize no man is an island unto himself. Our life does influence people around us, and people around us influence us. That's why choosing our friends are so so important. Your heart can be hardened because of the power of sin in this world, because of the power of influence in this world. I've got to give you these, the pondering of doubts. You know, everybody has doubts about different things sometimes. You know, as a Christian, have you ever one time thought, well, what if it isn't so? What if it's not true? Boy, what if there is no God out there? You know, what if Jesus isn't who he really says he is? What if he's just a great, the biggest con man that ever lived on the face of the earth? What if that Bible really isn't as reliable as I believe it is? What if there's a mistake in there somewhere and, and it's led me down a wrong path? What if, what if after all this there really is no heaven or no hell and nothing, nothing after this life? What if there's nothing to all this Christianity stuff at all? I honestly believe this. <laughs> you know, again, if you've never, ever, ever thought any of those or something similar to it, then I commend you because I have. <laughs> Those doubts have entered. And, you know, the thing is, you can't stop Satan from throwing a doubt. He's throwing those fiery darts. But you can stop pondering on them. You don't have to ponder on them. What did Jesus do when Satan came to, to tempt him? He said, thus saith the Lord. We were talking this morning because we were talking about a young man that had been befriended by the Mormons. And he was talking about how nice they were and how... How and warm that they'd been, inviting them into his home and being so friendly, and they were so nice people. And I said, you know, I said, the same thing happened to me one time. 
and I had arrived in a foreign country and I was serving and suddenly they were the nicest people. They treated me kinder and made me feel more gracious than anybody around. And I didn't know a whole lot about the Mormons at that time. But when I found out what it was, I began trying to find out who they were. And the thing was is that, again, you know, the sad thing is this. A lot of them are very, very, very nice people and very, very moral people, many of them. But you get to looking at what they believe, and it's not the Word of God. Now, you can't study up and know everything about every false religion and cult out there. But you can know the truth. When you know the truth, this is what you need to concentrate on. If you know the truth, you'll recognize the false when it comes along. You don't have to know what they think about everything in the world. You can know when something they say doesn't line up with this word. The problem is too many Christians don't know the truth. They don't have anything to stand on. They don't recognize the counterfeit when it comes along. Doubts can come. I had a preacher tell me this one time, not very spiritual, <clears throat> not the best way, but he said, you know what? He said, what if we get down to the end of all this and we find out there's been nothing to it whatsoever? There's no heaven. There's no God. There's no afterlife. When we hit the grave, that's it. He said, you know what? He said, what my life was before and what my life is now, <laughs> he said, it's still worth it. <laughs> if there was nothing after this life, it's still worth it. The person that I was and the person that I am is still worth it. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that our faith will take us much, much, much farther than that. But I'm saying when the devil starts trying to throw these doubts at you, if there were anything to it, it wouldn't be worth pondering on. But there is nothing to it. Your heart can be haunted because these doubts come along, and instead of there's one place that you can go to answer all of them, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm challenging you. Get in the truth. Know the truth. And then when the doubts come, you'll be able, just as Jesus has said, thus saith the Lord. Get behind me, Satan. Too many people, they ponder the questions, the doubts, but they either don't look for the answers or they look for them in all the wrong places and their hearts get hardened. The power of sin, the power of influence, the pondering of doubts. How about the pride of self-sufficiency? <laughs> I've already touched on this some, so I won't spend a lot of time there. Works salvation, what I can do. I'm a good person. I live a good life. I'm doing a lot better. I'm doing a lot better than most of those people out there. Almost every religion of the world is based upon work salvation, but there is one exception, Christianity, true Christianity. It's not got anything, nothing. I mean, you can't make a zero and mark through it big enough to do with you or me or anybody else. It's all 100% totally, completely of God. And that's one of the beautiful things. That's why that is so important that we not allow our hearts to be hardened. You find that in John chapter 3, verse 7, again, we find that Jesus is speaking here. We get this term thrown at us a lot of times. <laughs> he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Ye must be 
born again. There is no other way. You know, there's, there's, there's no other possibility whatsoever. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. We find that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, notice what he says in verse, verse 3. He says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 5, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, we get into a lot of things, but folks, you must be born again. Unless you repent, you perish. How do you repent? Well, first of all, you've got to hear God in your heart. He's the only one that will get through to your heart. And when that conviction comes, it means you begin to agree with God. <laughs> you see yourself as God sees you. You're not that self-sufficient, prideful person that is convincing yourself that you're okay, that your Christianity's okay, that you're okay with God. You see yourself as God sees it, and you turn because sin repels God. You turn away from it. You turn to him, except you repent, you likewise perish. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hardened hearts can come about through that pride of self-sufficiency, of thinking that you can do it, that you can live an okay life, that you can be a good person, that you can do all these things, instead of coming to recognize you're a sinner. You must be born again. You must repent of your sin and turn to him. There is no other way. The pointing a finger at others. Isn't it always easier to feel better about yourself? And you say, well, look at what so-and-so's doing. Look at what so-and-so said. Look, look how those other people are acting out there. You can always find somebody to point your finger out to make you feel better. The Bible says that's very, very dangerous. Do you think you can, can you actually find some defective Christians out there? <laughs> yeah, all of them, <laughs> every one of us. None of us have arrived yet. We are being transformed into the image of Christ in one day. We will know that, but right now we're all defective Christians. We find that when we begin to realize who we are, we must ask ourselves some questions. You know, will we through our, throw our soul into eternal damnation because of what someone else is living, what they should be doing and what they're not doing? Will we throw our life away because of some of the rotten fruit that is always going to be present, because of the counterfeits that aren't real in the first place anyway? I hope not. So many times Christians' hearts get hardened because they get to looking at everybody else and they're saying, well, hey, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, the Bible tells us again in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 1, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. <laughs> for wherein thou judgest to know that thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. 
You're just condemning yourself when you're pointing your finger at the others. The pride of self-sufficiency, the pointing a finger at others. I want to give you one final thing that will help to harden your heart against God this evening. That's the procrastination of action. (laughs) Just putting things off saying that it could be done later. We see that in natural life. We know something needs to be done, but we put it off, we put it off, we put it off. They say that procrastination is truly the thief of time. But you know, even more tragic than that, it's not just a thief of time. It's often the thief of human souls. (laughs) People know. What did Jesus say to them? (laughs) You see me. You see who I am. You hear what I'm saying, but you don't believe. Again, this morning, we talked about God's overflowing, limitless, abounding grace. We only get there through faith, believing him, believing him. We can't do anything. We've got to believe him. Remember the story, which I'm sure that most of you have heard when D.L. Moody was preaching his revival in Chicago before the great Chicago fire. And it was a very unusual thing from him, but after preaching that night, he never challenged anybody. As a matter of fact, he told them just to go home and think about what they'd heard. He didn't challenge them to do anything at that point in time. That night, of course, the great Chicago fire lit up the city, and many of those people that had been in that meeting that night never saw the next day. And I guess in his heart, he wondered, well, you know, the thing is, is that none of us ever save anybody. We've been looking at that in our missions conference last week. Only God, we are called to sow the seed, to plant the seed. Only God can give the increase. The truth is, you know, every time that I preach a sermon, I try at the end to encourage and challenge you, act upon it. You can hear the truth, but you need to believe it. It needs to come from your heart. You need to act upon what God says. The Bible isn't meant to be memorized to show people how theologically clever you are. It's meant to live your life by. It's what you live by. It's meant to make a difference in your life. Knowing it won't get you anywhere. The Bible says not to be hearers only, but doers of God's Word. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Nobody. Nobody has ever had a hardened heart against God and prospered and it done them good. I'm just encouraging you this evening because, you know, Brother Steve, as I was reading this passage, I thought, wow, that hits home. Because, you know, I can even still remember, and I give you this in closing, I can still remember after having given my life to the Lord and, and, and having been, I guess like most Christians and especially when we're young, more serious and less serious and more serious and less serious, but for the most part having a desire to live my life for God. But I can remember after going away from God and literally my heart being so hardened that I didn't want anything to do with it. There's two things I remember from that time. I remember because... It was during that time that I met Janie. 
And of course, during that time, I can remember one of those times we were just going for a Sunday afternoon walk in Zaragoza, Spain. We were getting to know each other, talking about our families and all of this. And of course, Janie came from a non-Christian home, and I came from a Christian home, but you would never have known it by the life that I was living. And of course, it kind of surprised her, nonetheless, when she found out that, that my dad was a pastor. She asked me a question there in the park in Zaragoza, Spain one day, and this was before any serious talk of marriage or anything like that, but she said, do you, do you think you'd ever do that? Do you think you would ever be a preacher like that in your life? Well, she had no way of knowing my life where I was at at that time, but I've said many times, Brother Steve, that probably, probably a dagger in the heart and twisting it wouldn't have felt any worse than that question did that day because she didn't know that I knew from the time I was 15 years old that God was calling me to the ministry, but I'd pushed it away and pushed it away until my heart had become hardened against that and eventually against God himself, not listening, not wanting to do what God wanted me to do. I kept pushing that back. I will tell you this. The Bible says there, be careful about judging. You see, so many times we look at a person, we judge, well, they, they can't really be a Christian and do that. I'll tell you something I found out in my own life. A Christian can do anything a lost person can do if they let their flesh control them instead of the Spirit. <laughs> if you think you're beyond anything, then you're wrong if you let your flesh loose, if the Spirit is not in control. You see, the truth is, my heart got so hardened. And I can remember the Sunday morning when my dad had preached on that Easter Sunday. Typical crucifixion, resurrection sermon. And I remember, boy, God was trying to break through that hardened heart that morning. And I can remember the, the invitation, the appeal being given at the end of the service and I can still remember to this day. You know, I'd, I'd heard people talk about it growing up, but I never knew the reality of it. Of course, you know, there were pews in the churches, not these nice soft seats that we have, and that talked about holding on to the back of the pew until the knuckles turned white. <laughs> not to move, not to respond, not to act upon what God was speaking to them about. <laughs> well, I, I, didn't, I didn't respond that morning. And I remember the service came to a close. And I can still remember that I often wondered what, what must that have been like for my dad to be preaching? He couldn't have missed the conviction. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody could have missed it if they'd been looking at me. What must it have felt like for him to see his own son standing there under conviction like that but not being willing to act upon it, not being willing to listen to God, not being willing to do anything about it. Service was over. He was at the back door shaking people's hands as they were leaving the service and, and all of this, and I was still sitting there. I was, I was so under conviction, God was dealing with my heart so much that I never had anybody, any idea that my dear brand-new wife, we were on our honeymoon, <laughs> that... She was sitting on the pew beside me, and she was sitting there completely broken because she too, God had got a hold of her heart that morning. But 
she was too nervous to get step out in front of all those people and go down to that altar and do anything about it. And so she had eventually just sat down on the pew. I didn't know that my mom on the other side of her had just slipped her arm around her shoulders. <laughs> she'd ask her she'd like for her to pray with her. I do, I do remember this, Brother Steve. I remember that it was almost like I don't even know how to describe it. Out of the corner of my eye, I suddenly, me under all of this conviction and determined that I wasn't going to give in. <laughs> I don't know why. It's kind of like what Job was asked. Why, why would anybody in their right mind harden their heart against a God that's trying to, to deal with them, to do something good for them? But I remember I did see suddenly I saw my new wife and my mother <laughs> kneeling and praying together. And again, you know, it's, it's almost like Satan had me bound up in chains. And it's, and it's like when, when I saw that, it was like suddenly, I don't know how to explain it, except it was like, it was like, it was like those chains just broke. <laughs> they went. <laughs> and I, you know, I can't tell you to this day how I got from that second row seat where I was sitting on my knees at the front of that church in that altar crying out to God. I can't tell you a word that I prayed. I can't tell you what I was saying to God, but you know what I'll never forget as long as I live? You see, God was talking to my heart, and I remember as vividly as I'm standing here before you, I remember a heart that was crying out to God, and I wasn't worried about any theological terms. I wasn't worried. I knew that I wasn't right with God, and I knew that, that Jesus Christ was the only way that I could be right, and my heart was screaming out to God for mercy, for forgiveness. I wasn't even praying, concerned about whether I was coming to Christ as a lost sinner or as a backslider. I just knew I was sinning, and Jesus Christ was the only way that could be forgiven, and it was my heart that cried out. But you see, I almost let that procrastination to action harden my heart even more that day. You know, maybe it was just, maybe it was just me because some of these things we'll never know until we get to heaven one day. But it was like something within me. I just knew, man, God loved me so much. He was giving me this opportunity, and I felt in the end it was my last opportunity. I had to do something. I had to act with what God was doing to my heart. Folks, I've been about as imperfect a Christian as I could be since that day, but I promise you this, in my heart, I never, ever, ever, I never wanted to go back. <laughs> I never wanted to turn my back on God again. I failed him, sadly, miserably. And all of my influences haven't been good. Some of them have been bad, and I wish I could change that. But I know I never, ever, ever, I never wanted to go back again. I never wanted a hardened heart against God. I never wanted to get to that position again. And I thank God that he loved me and left. And my encouragement to you this evening is, are you really hearing God speak to you in your life? Are you enjoying God? Do you feel his presence and know his presence? If you're here and you're not genuinely saved, if you've never, Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus said, unless you repent, you also likewise will perish. I'm asking you this evening, if you've never ever, if you've never bowed before God, humbly begging for his mercy 
You can't claim anything, but you could ask him to forgive you because of what Jesus did for you. <laughs> Not because you deserve it, but because he loved you enough that he died for you, even when you didn't deserve it, <laughs> or you were yet a sinner, or you were yet his enemy. He died for you. This evening, don't harden your heart against him. You can't get saved on your terms when you want to. Unless he draws you, you will not come. If God is speaking to your heart this evening, then please act upon it. Christian, has your heart been hardened against God? You just don't feel his presence and know his presence. You don't have that communion with him like maybe you one time did. Maybe some of these things, these are not the only things that are hard in your heart. These are just some of the things that I know. I know from my own personal experience, and I know from what the Word of God teaches us, these things, just like that piece of bread, without ever intending it, it'll just gradually get harder and harder. And you know what? It'll get to the point one day where you can't even bite it anymore. I mean, it goes hard. It might start changing colors and everything else. It'll go hard. People's hearts go hard. They decay. Don't let that happen. Don't procrastinate this evening. If God is speaking to you, then act upon it. That's, you can't do anything except believe it, receive it. Just, just say, God, I know. I'm a sinner. I can't do anything, but I accept what you have done for me. And I promise you, I promise you, there is nothing in all the world that will ever, ever, ever be better than that decision that you make.